0: Hi, this is Rick Thompson, the pastor at Living Water Community Church. This is our podcast, and I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this message builds your faith and blesses you. Please enjoy it. Good morning, everyone. My name is Rick Thompson. I'm the privileged pastor here at Living Water Community Church. We're in the middle of a series that we've been calling The Gospel According to Marvel. The Gospel According to Marvel. And today's message, if you haven't figured out yet, is featuring the Black Panther. And I'm calling it the Reluctant Hero. The Reluctant Hero. Not, don't get caught up on that word reluctant because he's, as you can tell, he's also one who, what I call, a kick butt and takes names. Um, but he's played by a fellow by the name of Chadwick Boseman who died of cancer last year. He got, may he rest in peace, at 43 But Black Panther is a fictional superhero, hold on one second, he's a a fictional superhero uh, who appeared in American comic books, let me give you some background on him, who appeared in American comic books by Marvel Comics. The character was created by Stan Lee, first appearing in the Fantastic Four, number 52 in the Silver Age of comic books. His real name is T'Challa, T'Challa, because he's from Africa. And he's a prince and would be soon to be, I say, I say although reluctant, king and protector of the fictional nation of Wakanda. Who's seen the Black Panther? Wakanda forever. You remember that? Wakanda forever. Touted in the comics as the only African country that was never colonized, though many have tried. Some fun facts. A fun fact. Over the years, observers have drawn real world parallels between Wakanda and Ethiopia, which was never officially colonized, but was occupied by Italy in the 1930s. So to kind of give Wakanda even more cultural and technological significance, the first issue features a variety of attempted invasions by outside forces that soon discover while this place remains one of the few unconquered nations on the planet. It's, it's technologically, it's off the chain in, in, as far as their technology is concerned. Black Panther, another fun fact, was, was the first black superhero character in mainstream comics. Now, I call him the reluctant uh, would-be king because he would have to take over. He's fighting uh, the Winter Soldier in that scene because he believes the Winter Soldier has assassinated his father, who is the king. So now he has to take over the, the kingdom after the premature death and assassination of his father T'Chaka followed by these constant threats and challenges to his kingdom that he has to deal with. Now, I've been saying every week that as we're looking at these characters that oftentimes art sometimes imitates life, not, notwithstanding we just saw an assassination in Haiti. We need to be praying for Haiti, right? Because they assassinated the president. It's now in turmoil. But there was another man in the Bible that had to deal with constant threats to his person and his people as well. He, too, was I would call, what I would call a reluctant hero that would end up doing great things for his people, so much so that the people tried to make him, tried to force him to be their king. In Judges chapter 8, it's on your outline. Let's make sure everyone has an outline. Raise your hand if you don't. Let's get one to you. But Judges chapter 8, it says, the Israelites said to Gideon, someone said Gideon. Gideon, Gideon rule over us. Now, this is in chapter 8. You, your son, your grandson, because you have saved us from the hand of Midian. So we're going to the end of the story before we flesh out the story. But Gideon told them, I will not rule over you, nor will my son rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. Now, believe it or not, this isn't bad advice on Gideon's part, but it also kind of reveals his reluctance to take on that role the, the the people were convinced that he was a leader and that he was a ruler, but he wasn't so much convinced. In fact, um, considering his origin story, it was more to, akin to that of a coward than a hero or king, Gideon. Now, he was a man of self-imposed limits, barriers, and restrictions, so much so that when the God finally comes to him by way of the angel of the Lord and confronts him and, and addresses him as a mighty warrior, he basically says, who, me? You, you've, you, you basically got me confused with someone else. And he, did not, he didn't just do that once. He did it twice. But before we jump into the main text, let's back up his story just two chapters and see how God transformed him literally from a zero to a hero, and he was that all along, but he never saw himself that way. And a lot of times, we put our, we put ourselves, we put limits on ourselves, and we don't see ourselves the way God sees us. And I, my hope is by the end of this message, we will start to view ourselves the way God sees us. Amen. Amen. So in Judges chapter one verse eighteen, it says the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years He gave them into the into the hands of the Midianites. Question: Who gave them into the hands of the Midianites? God did. God did. I want you to take note of that, okay? Because we're going to circle back to that. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, uh, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, the Malachites, and the other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops. All, all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep, nor cattle, nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts, it was impossible to count them or the camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. So understand what's happening. Israel now, because of their their disobedience or uh, because of where they are now with their relationship with the Lord, God would would many times, the relationship that he had with Israel was, as long as you're uh, doing what I'm telling you to do and obeying what I'm commanding you to do, my hand of protection will be over you. The moment you stop doing that, my hand of protection will be pulled back from you. Not because he hated them, because he wanted to get them back on track. Come on, somebody. And so, so now they are living in an impoverished situation. They're living in the land of Canaan that we talked about, the land that, that the their ancestors had taken, Joshua had taken. But because they have done some things, now they're living basically captive in, in, in caves and in the clefts of Hills and, and, and the surrounding country people are now devastating them. Verse 6, Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. And, the, and God didn't, didn't disappoint. When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians. I delivered you from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. I do not, worship the, do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. In other words, they took over the land, they drove out the Amorites, but then they started worshiping the same gods, and they were being unfaithful to the things of the Lord. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak and Oprah that belonged to Joaz, the Abizrite, where... His son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. Now, I want you to take a look at that picture there. That's the angel of the Lord, or a picture of it, a depiction of it. And Gideon is literally threshing wheat in a wine press. Now, how many of you know that a wine press is, is for pressing wine, <laughs> not threshing wheat? The place where you were supposed to thresh wheat was on a hilltop. Because you needed the wind to kind of separate the, the wheat from the chaff. So for him to be now in a wine press, it, it, it shows where he's at and where, where the oppression of his people are at. He, he, why is he there? He's hiding. He's hiding from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. So the, the angel calls him a mighty warrior. And what is he doing? He's hiding. Again, verse 15, pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, my clan, the people who I'm from, and I am the least in my family. I'm the lowest of the lowest. I'm the zero. Why? How, how can this be happening to me? The Lord answered, I'll be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Now, didn't we just say the Midianites were, were encamped? so much so that they pushed the Israelites out. We're talking about a lot of people, and here God is making a promise. This is how it's going to happen. The Lord is going to be with you, <laughs> and none of the Midianites are going to survive. How many of you know that God, you plus God is all you need? Come on, somebody. You plus God is all you need, and we're going to see that by the end of this story. Verse 17, Gideon replied, was he convinced? No. <laughs> If now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it really that is really you t- talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering, and set it before you. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. Now, if you read the rest of the story, we're going to find that Gideon took all sorts of convincing before he would take the limits, restrictions, and restraints off of himself. First of all, he thought he was going to die because he thought. He saw the angel, he saw the Lord face to face, and they had a custom in their, in their belief system that if you, if you saw the face of God or the angel of the Lord, that, the, that was a precursor of you dropping dead. And so God had to convince him that he wasn't going to die. And then he says, you know what? I'm going to put the Lord to a test. I'm going to use a fleece or a woolen fleece to try to, which kind of showed his further reluctance. In Judges chapter 6, verse 36, Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you have promised, look, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there, is dew, if there is dew only on the fleece and all the ground is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. Now, anyone have heard the term put a fleece before the Lord? Yeah, that's a common thing. This is the story where it comes from. This is where it comes from. And so he's basically saying, put the fleece out. I'm going to put a fleece out. Uh, if that is wet and the ground stays dry by the next morning, I'll know that it's you that I'm talking to because he wasn't convinced this was an angel from God. Then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand. And at, this, and at verse 38, and that is what happened. Gideon rose early the next day. He squeezed the fleece and he wrung out the dew and it was a bowl full of water and the ground around it was completely dry. Was he convinced? Aren't we calling him the reluctant hero here? No. Verse 39, then Gideon said to God, do not be angry with me. Let me make just one more request. Allow me one more test with the fleece. But this time, make the fleece dry and let the ground be covered with dew. And that night God did so. Only the fleece was dry and all the ground was covered with dew. The first night he wanted it wet. (laughs) <laughs> so that he can wring it out. The next night, he wanted it dry, and every place else wet, he wanted to make sure that he was talking to God. So by chapter 7, he's finally become convinced that the Lord's with him, so he puts out a call to his people to come fight as, uh, uh, the Midianites, as, as, as God instructed him, and the Midianite hordes. Except when he does, apparently too many men show up to fight and, and God rightly so is concerned that if they win, they're going to attribute it to their own strength of arms. And they're not going to attribute it to God. And so understand that God is always trying to get them back on track because they become idolaters, they become blasphemers, they become fornicators, following hard after the false gods of the land. We see that in Judges chapter 6. If we backtrack a little bit further, it says that night... This happened. God said to him, take your father's best, seven-year-old bull, uh, the prime one. Tear down your father's bale altar altar, and chop down the Asherah fertility pole beside it. Then build an altar to God, your your God, on the top of this hill. Take the prime bull and present it as a whole burnt offering. Use firewood from the Asherah pole that you cut down. Gideon selected ten men from his servants and did exactly what God had told him but because of his family and the people in the neighborhood, he was afraid to do it openly, so he does it at nighttime. Early in the morning, the people in the town were shocked to find Baal's altar torn down, the Asherah pole beside it chopped down, and the prime bowl burning away on the altar that had been built. And they kept asking, who did this? Questions and more questions, and then the answer, Gideon, son of Joash, did it. Verse 30, the men of the town demanded of Joash Bring out your son. He must die. Why? He tore down the Baal altar and chopped down the Asherah tree. But Joash stood up to the crowd, pressing in on him. Are you going to fight Baal's battles for him? Are you going to save him? Anyone who takes Baal's side will be dead by morning. If Baal is a god, in fact, let him fight his own battles and defend his own altar. And they nicknamed Gideon that day Jerob Baal. Because after he had torn down the Baal altar, he said, let Baal fight his own battles. Now, who is Baal? And who is Asherah? I have a picture up here of depicting these two gods and goddesses, little Gs. But but Baal literally means, the word Baal literally means Lord, Lord. And so he was considered the Lord or the God of rain, wind, and fertility. And because Canaan uh, depended on rain to kind of grow their crops and survive, He would have been one of the numero uno idols of the land. Asherah, the girl next to him on the right, was another popular deity in Canaan and was the goddess of motherhood and fertility. Depending on the tradition, she was either Baal's mother, his lover, or both. That's gross, right? Well, the two of them would mate. This is how it would happen. And this act would bring rain for the people and end the dry season. And this would explain why one of the most common religious rituals that, that happened around Baal and Asherah worship was sex with temple prostitutes. It was happening, or they would erect these Asherah poles and they'd have orgies underneath these Asherah poles in high places. That's why God said, Tear down the high places. Enemy always wants the high places. And God said, Tear them down and set up your own, set up an altar for me. So after all, the people kind of wanted to inspire Baal and Asherah to sleep together because they said that when that happened, that's when the rain would come. Now, Baal worship didn't end there. It also involved magic, and it involved child sacrifice. Another image of Baal is this guy here. He's usually depicted with a human body and a bull or a goat's head with horns. And oftentimes what they would do is they would take their live children and throw them into the fire with Baal. There would be a literally, there would be a bloodbath as they're trying to invoke Baal to to send the rain and to send the, you know, to send food for the crops and all these other things. They would literally throw their children in fire. How many know that God hated this practice? He absolutely hated it. Much like, much like what's happening in our country today with abortion Today, it's more insidious because they take the babies right from the womb. And I promise you, this has been going on for years and years and years and years and years. The enemy has always been targeting the innocence and the innocent blood in the land. And you can understand why God wanted to end that religion and end that practice. This is an actual pole. This is what would, what would have been erected uh, up next to the Baal altar. And it it stood high, and and this is Gideon tearing them down. Took an axe to it all. At this, so Israel had gotten way off track, and God was being a good shepherd, and he was kind of bringing them back to their true God. And one way again he did that was by removing the, the hand of protection over them so that they would again cry out to him. So fast forward again, and he, and he raises up a reluctant hero, Gideon, who finally calls the people to arms like God instructed, and they showed up in mass. But there was too many of them. And God says again, we've got to thin out the, the herd. In, in, in Judges chapter 7, verse 1, Early in the morning, Jerubal, that is Gideon, and all his men camped at the spring of Herod. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the, the hill of Morah, The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands, or Israel will boast against me, saying, my strength, my own strength has saved me. Again, it it, it wouldn't have done what God wanted. They would have just said, you know, we're the ones that did it, and they would not have attributed it to God. So now announce to your army, listen to this, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left while 10,000 remained. So how many men showed up? 32,000 men showed up when Gideon put out the call to fight the Midianites. But when God says, if anyone is afraid and trembles with fear, I mean, they're afraid, send them home, okay? 22,000 of the men left while 10,000 remained. But the Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many men. Take them down to the water, and I will thin them out for you there. If I say this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water. There the Lord told them, separate those who lap the water with their tongues as a a dog laps from those who kneel down to drink. And so here they've got the men by by the riverside, and some are kneeling down into the water, and they're drinking directly from the water. And some are kneeling down and lifting it up with their hands, and they're lapping it like a dog, right? God God told them, separate the ones who lap, who keep their eyes up and looking around and are aware from those who go down to the ground and start drinking that way. 300 of them drank from cupped hands, lapping like dogs, verse 6. All the rest got down on their knees to drink. So 9,700 kneeled down to drink. Only 3,000 of them kept their wits about them, was aware of what was going on around them. And God said to Gideon, the Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men that lapped, I will save you and and give the Midians into your hands. How many know that God do not need a big army? Come on, somebody. (laughs) Come on, somebody. He just whittled it down from 32,000 to 10,000. From 10,000, he said to 300. Because the, the operative person who's going to win the battle is not going to be the strength of arms. It's going to be the strength of his arms. Amen. Amen. We're talking about a big God. And so with 300 men that laughed, our was saved. Gideon sent, verse 8. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites home, but kept the 300 who took over the provisions and the trumpets of the others. Now the camp of Midian lay below them in the valley. During that night, the Lord said to Gideon, get up, go down against the camp because I'm going to give it into your hands. Now, mind you, it's a horde. It's thousands and thousands. There was even more than the 32,000 that they had. If you, are afraid, if you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant, Pura and listen to what they are saying. Afterwards, you will be encouraged to attack the camp. So he and Pura, his servant, went down to the outpost of the camp. The Midianites, the Malachites, and all the other eastern people had settled in the, in the valley. Thick as locusts, the camels could no more be counted than the sand on the seashore. And Gideon arrived just as a man was telling a friend his dream. Listen to the dream. I had a dream, he, he was saying. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such a force that the tent overturned and collapsed. Verse 14. So his friend responded. This can be, this can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. So God caused them to have a dream, and the dream was this loaf of bread that rolled into the things, and they interpreted it as as Gideon is going to be rolling all over them. And Gideon was spying out the land and listening and heard them say this. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed down and he worshiped, and he returned to the camp of Israel, and he called out, Get up! The Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands, and dividing the 300 men into three companies, he placed trumpets and empty jars in the hands of all of them with torches inside. Watch me, he told them. Follow my lead. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. When I, when, when I and all who are with me blow out trumpets, then from all around the camp, blow yours and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. I understand what's happening here. He he, now he's down from 32,000 and then 10,000 to 300. Now he divides the 300 into 100 squads, uh, squadrons of 100, and he surrounds the camps of the Midianites. He, he gives each man a trumpet, and he gives them a, a what are we calling this? A jaw, a jaw and a, with a torch inside. And they gather around. And now they have this torch. They can't, people can't see the torch. And he says, when I give the signal. Now listen. He says, watch me. Follow my lead. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. When I and all who are with me blow the trumpets, then from the camp, blow yours and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. Verse 19. Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch, just after they had changed the guard. They blew the trumpets. And broke the jaws that were in their hands. So when they broke the jaws, all of a sudden, now imagine the scene. All of a sudden, all around them, it looks like torches are being lit up. Everything all around them. All right? They can't tell what's going on. The Midianites just see uh, on this side, there's a hundred torches. They're hearing all this trumpets being blasted. On that side, there's, there's torches. On this side, being torches, and people are screaming. And crying out. So the three companies blew the the trumpets and smashed their jaws, grasping the torches in their left hands and holding in their right hands the trumpets. They were to blow, they shouted, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Watch this. While each man held his position, held their position around the camp, all the Midianites ran, crying out as they fled. When the the 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to, to what? To do what? Yeah. To turn on each other with their swords. So God released a confusion in, into the camp of the Midianites, and they started swinging wildly with their own swords against each other. The army fled with, with Beth toward towards as far as the border of abel near Tabath. Easy for you to say. <laughs> Israelites from Naphtali, Asher, and all Manasseh were called out, and they pursued the Midianites. Gideon sent messengers throughout the hill country of Ephraim, saying, Come down against the Midianites and seize the waters of the Jordan ahead of them as far as beth So all the men of Ephraim were called out, and they seized the waters of Jordan as far as beth And they also captured two of the Midianite leaders, Oreb and Zeb. They killed Oreb at the rock of Oreb and Zeb at the winepress of Zeb. And they pursued the Midianites and brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon, who was by The Jordan, And that's when we get to chapter 8, when they wanted to make him the king. But by that time, it was all wrapped up. Now, you can read the rest when you get a chance. But God delivered Israel, the Israelites, listen to me, with just 300 men. And at the same time, at the same time, he would deliver our reluctant hero Gideon from his bondages of self-imposed barriers and limitations. Now, my question to you this morning, after saying all that, what caused Gideon to be so limited at the first place. What caused them to be so limited at the first, in the first place? Fear, right? He basically kept looking at his circumstances rather than looking at his God, right? You'd agree with me on that one? Folks, we need to stop focusing on how big our problems are, and we need to start focusing on how big our God is. Your God is bigger than your problem, amen? He's bigger than your problem, now, if we're going to go move from a zero to a hero like Gideon, we're going to do a couple, three things. And I want you, this is where I want you to write them down. Number one, number one, if we're going to take the limits off of ourselves. We're going to start to believe God for the impossible in our own lives. Amen. As far as I'm concerned, listen to me. I don't care what you're facing, what, you, what you're going through. It ain't over till it's over. Amen. Amen? It's not over till it's over. As long as there's breath in your lungs and and, and, and you can still function and God has given you another day, it ain't over till it's over. Jesus says, if we would have the faith of a mustard seed, we, we can speak to the mountains, okay? We can speak to the mountains and command it to be moved. My prayer is that we would start to speak to the mountains that are in our lives. And we start to command these things to move. The mustard seed was the smallest seed on the planet. And Jesus said, that's all you need to start to see the hand of God start to move in our lives. We need to start believing God for the the impossibles in our lives. Amen? Amen? Number two, we need to rely more on God's abilities and less on the obstacles in front of us. Rely more on God's abilities and less on the obstacles in front of us. Last I checked, what's over our heads is still under his feet. Do you believe that? And and technically, listen to me, the Bible says we are seated in Christ in heavenly places. Again, I didn't say it. The Bible says it. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6 and 7, it says, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him, In heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Where are we seated? With whom? With Christ. In order that in in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So, if our situation is under his feet and we've been seated with him in Christ, it's under your feet too. I'm just saying. Uh, let's just get some perspective here. God put us in Jesus. And Jesus, the, the devil and all his situations is under the feet of Jesus. And if we are with Jesus, it's under your feet as well. Amen? Amen. And, and then, and so we need to start believing that and trusting that, that the God who brought us to that situation that we're, we're dealing with is going to bring us through it. And I believe that with all my heart. Whatever you're facing today, if he brought you to it, he's going to bring you through it. Amen? And let me give you the third and final one. We need to act or move toward the problem. Turn to someone and say, don't run away. Don't run away. Don't run away. Move toward it. We, we, we see example after example in the Bible, of uh, like David, who ran toward the giant, Remember? Uh, Though he's little and the giant is taunting him and making all sorts of things, saying things that he's going to do, David took up his little rock and he started running toward the problem because he figured the bigger they are, the harder they fall. His God is bigger than than the giant. The giant was big, but God is much bigger than that situation, that circumstance that we're facing. And so he started running toward the problem. Listen to what God told Joshua who took down, remember, Jericho. We talked about that last week. Joshua in chapter 1, verse 1, it says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aide, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will, verse 3, give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. Come on, somebody. If only we had that same kind of faith with our situations. Yes, there's giants in the land. Yes, there's problems out there. But guess what? You showed up, and if you're there, God is there, amen? You're a representative of him. And so if I'm at my work, listen to me, I'm claiming my work for the cause of Christ. If I'm at school, every place that he's, uh, I put my foot down now belongs to God. Amen? If I'm at my home or, or in my city or in my town, if we had that same kind of faith that God and that promise gave to Joshua, every place I put you, I, you place your foot, I've given it to you. Amen? We need to start walking that out and working that out and start believing God for that, not just for our homes, for our schools, Uh for our neighborhoods we need to believe that for our nation amen this was their land god had promised it to them they had they they just needed to contend for it and they needed to 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 to, to stay in the will of the father as it related to idolatry in their land they they had gotten off track and and, and because they gotten off track the lord allowed some, certain things to take place all they need to do was to stay in the will of the Father. So my questions again to you today is, listen to me, do you want the victories that God has a preordained you to have to reign in your life? Is that a yes? Yes, if, if I do too. Well, then what areas of your life are you limiting God? What areas is he saying, look, look mighty warrior, and you're saying, who, me? <laughs> you must have someone else. What areas is he saying, I want to use you to reach that person, and you're coming back with excuse after excuse after excuse to say, like, like Gideon said, well, I'm from the least tribe, and I'm the least in my tribe. He, he put himself as the least of the smallest of the small, and God said, you're a mighty warrior. You're seeing yourself like this, and I'm seeing you like a mighty conqueror. What area are you limiting God in, 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 in your life? Where are you saying who me to God? You can't possibly do that in my life. And then number three, are there any idols that you need to deal with in order to reclaim the victory in your lives? Idols was the problem that was happening in Israel at the time. An idol is anything that you place ahead of God. It could be your work. It could be money. It could be careers. It could be sinful patterns. It could be people, material things, or activities. All of these can be idols because they, because they become more important to you than your relationship with God. Take the lesson from Gideon. Take the lesson from Gideon. When the word of the Lord came to him, after, although it took some convincing, he finally tore down those idols. And it's for us to say, Lord, I'm going to make you a priority in my life, I'm going to not allow these things. You know where God wants to be in your life? He wants to be number one. And He gives us promises that if He's made to be number one in our lives, He said, Jesus said, if you seek first my kingdom and my righteousness, He says, all these things will be added to you. Not some things, all these things. And the things that he said to be added to you are the things that every single one of us need. The provisions that, that the world is desperately looking for. Can God provide for us even in the midst of a pandemic? Can he do that? Do you think the pandemic took God by surprise? I mean, we saw last week that with the walls of Jericho, the entire wall fell except for the one house <laughs> that Rahab lived in. God knows how to take care of his own if we start to make him a priority in our lives. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And he says all these things will be added to you. Tear down those idols. And then secondly, don't be a reluctant hero. Begin today to start telling God yes and and asking him to remove the limits. And understand this, God doesn't need... An army to accomplish his work. He don't need a big army, right? He, t- he sent the, he sent the, uh, from 30, he whittled it down from 32,000 to, to 300 people. And he said with 300 people <laughs> who actually didn't have to do much, they just positioned themselves around the army and did what he said. Break the, break the vessel, put, uh, pull out the torches, and shout for the Lord. (laughs) Come on, there's a victory in our shout. There's a victory in our shout. Come on, somebody. And he says, now, now, when you start to do what I say, he said, then I'm going to start to fight your battles. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. And when God fights our battles, if God is for us, who can be against us? Amen. Amen. To God be the glory. If God be for us, who can be against us? But it all starts with a personal relationship with Jesus. It all starts with him. It all starts by humbling ourselves and saying, I need Christ in my life because that's the first thing that God puts out. He says, I'm giving you my son, and what are you going to do with him? And so as we come to the close of this service, if we're going to go from a zero to a hero, if we're going to start to see ourselves as... The people that God called us to be, rather than which was the problem of the Israelites, they saw themselves as grasshoppers. Uh, Gideon saw himself as the least in the kingdom, and God saw him as a mighty warrior. We're going to start to change that stinking thinking, and we're going to start to submit ourselves to the leadership of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But it starts with saying yes to Jesus. That's where it all begins. That's where it all begins. And then Every day, uh, let your yeses be no, more than your nose to the Lord. Amen? And then you're going to start to see yourself walking into, into the world. You're going to start to see yourself every place you put your, your feet. God says, I'm giving, I'm giving this to you. And I'm going to start to fight those battles for you. Amen? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. If we've not yet asked Christ to come into our lives, to come into our hearts, like I said, that's where it begins. Say something like this from your heart. Say, Heavenly Father, I come before you today and I ask you to be my Lord and to be my Savior. I don't want to be a reluctant person in your your kingdom. Today I willingly submit myself to your plans and your purposes in my life. Fill me with your spirit, with your power, with your love. Help me to believe you for the impossible, rely on you and your abilities more than the obstacles that are in front of me. And help me not to run away from my problems, but to run toward them, believing, Lord, that the bigger they are, the harder they fall, not because I'm strong, but because you're strong. And so, Father, I pray, I pray that for all your children here today. Say, fill me with your spirit, Lord. Fill me with your power. Fill me with your love. From this day forward, I commit my life to you. I recommit my life to you. In Jesus' name I pray. And we all sin. Amen. Thank you so very much for listening to this message. We hope you were truly blessed. If you were please subscribe to our podcast if you haven't already and share it with a friend. Doing so will cause the seeds of God's word and the message of his love to spread like wildfire. So thanks again for partnering with us in this important way. Stay thirsty for Christ, my friends, until the whole world hears. God bless.